1: Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: There's no place to escape to. This is the last. On the left.
1: (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Man, I miss actors like Oliver Reed. When's the last time you've seen him in a movie, Kissel? I don't know who Oliver Reed is. Uh, Marcus, you know. Oliver Reed, the only way to describe him as, is a hangover with hair. (laughs) It's like back when you could, as an actor, you could literally just (laughs) slug a thing or whatever. It's like shanties, like, boysenberry liqueur. Like weird old school booze. And then show up this set being like, where's Lawrence? Where do I And then they just put him in place. They point him towards the camera. And then he just rocks it. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Well, with any luck, alcoholic acting will be back in vogue, and you'll be working your ass off.
1: <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> because then un- you just <laughs> let the broken capillaries do the work.
3: So. Absolutely. It's it's good for the character. It's not it's not that you're an alcoholic who yeah. doesn't want to see their family. No. It's acting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's acting. <laughs> this is the
3: last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hey, here Ben. In- Hello, Marcus. Here in beautiful New York City. And then, of course, we have actor Henry Zebrowski in Los
1: Angeles. Miller, absolutely, I'm ready to perform. I have my pack of Winstons, <laughs> I have an entire case of Seagrams, <laughs> and I am ready to recite the lines and play the play. <laughs> now, just tell me which one of these devices is the camera.
3: <laughs> uh, sir, you are in the bathroom, and that is a mirror.
1: Well, then this is where I am, then. Bring the cameras to me. That's when actors really could be little terrorists.
3: Unbelievable. Okay, today's subject matter, and I know this is going to come as a big surprise. I have no idea what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> I, I literally
3: i am like, Henry, Henry Henry told me, like, Monday what we're going to talk about. I was like, yeah, of course, of course. Um so, we will learn this together, audience. We are going to discuss. We are going to
1: discuss. Is he going to get it right? Let me see what he does. Let me see how he <laughs> pronounces it. The Devils of Loudon. Whoa. Kissel, French. <laughs> the this Devils is, of Loudon. This is maybe one of the horniest stories we'll ever tell. Yeah. Really? Ooh, there is so much. Pussy juice In this story (laughs) You're going to need to get A
3: canoe That's great Nothing I like more than Dirt guy and Polish boy Talking about Vaginal juices (laughs) Squirt it out miss Squirt it out
2: Uh
4: huh Coined by Aldous Huxley, the Devils of Loudon is the name given to a bout of 17th century mass hysteria that masqueraded as the demonic possession of 17 nuns in the small French town of Loudon. What really drives the story, though, as Henry said, is sex.
1: Yeah, say it right, though. Kid. Say it right, though, dog meat. Really? Just come on.
4: What really drives the story, though, mm-hmm. is sex. Ugh,
3: I honestly am less, cre- I'm less creeped out by that Marcy's Playground song, Sex and Candy, and I thought that was kind of a creepy song.
2: Candy. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's with a bunch of 17th century nuns, oh. so I don't know what that smell is
4: like. Yikes. Well, this is what Huxley wrote about it. Over everything, like a rich, smelly fog, hung an oppressive sexuality... Thick enough to be cut with a knife and ubiquitous, inescapable. Ooh, ooh.
3: That is the worst analogy I have ever heard for the odor of intimacy.
1: What is yeah, happening? what it smells like. You know what it is. You know what the rich, I smelly know, fog is. I
3: <laughs> just don't need it to be. I never once like talked to, uh, to, talk to Burke and be like, Ooh, we got a real rich, sweaty fog in here today. <laughs> smelly fog. Smelly fog. It's disgusting. It's not a cheese.
1: It's because you are not a French romanticist. (laughs) I
4: guess not. Now, while this story could certainly get bogged down in all sorts of historical details involving the restoration and Huguenots and the upkeep of various French
2: castles.
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's very interesting it's, if you do get into it. The Reformation is a very interesting time
4: period. It's all extremely interesting stuff. Mm. But really, this story, at its core, like most witch hunts, is about local drama that got completely out of hand.
1: It's what we have Facebook for now. Right. It's Because like, I mean, you I, know, Facebook, how many... How many times has Facebook escalate to murder? We're mm-hmm. seeing it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. This is the same shit. But think about how juicy the story is, as that this shit happened in what was it? What year? In 1600. 1630. And we are talking about it now.
3: Wow. All right. Well, I don't think people will be talking about the Facebook feuds in uh, in 400 years that everyone in the Midwest is having right now with their neighbor. Just go talk to your neighbor. Okay.
1: Well, Ed's been talking. Ed's been obsessed with the one old school fr- uh, Facebook friend of his that has um, had a stillborn child. Oh, my. Goodness. And it's just been posting pictures of the stillborn child again and again and again and then made the stillborn child her profile picture oh, oh, come on. that's terrorism
4: <laughs> oh people have lost their way all right but unlike many 17th century witch hunts, the witch victim, so to speak, was not a woman, but was rather a loud-mouthed, sarcastic, oversexed priest by the name of Urbain Grandier, who got into the pants of one too many penitents and talked shit about all the wrong people. You say
1: oversexed, but it seems like he was chronically undersexed <laughs> because he was constantly having sex.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oversexed
1: no, no. undersexed means you don't want to have sex. That's low T. Oversex is like, get this pussy off of me. Get this dick out of me. (laughs) Undersex is like, bring in more shipments of, where's my truckload of vagina? Where are (laughs) all my penises?
3: Interesting. So he was, he was in roast mode as well. Yeah. Always in roast mode. mode. Always in roast mode. Constant 17th century French roast mode. So what would he mock? People's ascots or the the shoe (laughs) buckles? What do you mean? Make fun of a uh, of a 17th century or 16th century Frenchman.
2: We'll
1: go into it, but there, the it's really hard to even explain just how he showed up into this small town and was just like "fuck you, fuck you, fuck you." You're cool. He did it to everybody. He uh, he really got got.
4: All the right, end, the Jim Brewer of priests. <laughs> but before we get into the story itself, let's acknowledge our source: the Devils of Loudon by Aldous Huxley. Huxley obviously had a fantastic time researching and writing this book. And this book could honestly be considered like a 1950s antecedent of what we do. That's a very high praise for us, but that's nice to think about. It's mostly just, it's he's goofing on shit. He's goofing yes. on funny things that happened mm-hmm. back, way back when.
3: So you think Aldous Huxley would like that comparison? That hate you it. Just, he, he
4: would hate it. it right? He would hate what we do.
1: He would hate
2: everything
1: mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. who we are. Right. Oh, he would ha- Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Would, uh, yeah, would, Aldous Huxley would push my face down into a carpet and beat the living shit out of me <laughs> if he wasn't 95 pounds of British cigarette smoker. <laughs>
4: but still, it is a beautifully written history of both the event and the era, and is of the highest recommendation to anyone into the show who's down for some thick reading.
1: I'd also put out there the movie The Devils by Ken Russell. Of course. My favorite movie of Ken Russell's. It's very difficult to get a hold of. The Devils is one of the most deliciously satanic movies to ever have been produced, besides The Devil's Reign. It is so, oi, 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 there's so much in and out. Oliver Reed's fucking mustache is the curliest thing I've ever seen. That must have taken (laughs) several people. (laughs) to keep going because he's twisting it and other people are twisting it. Everybody's nude and a lot of what a lot of face paint and a lot of fun segues with weird fucking hallucinatory music video segments.
3: Yeah, it's probably solely his runny nose from all the cocaine that's uh, making the mustache stay in place.
1: That was given to him
3: by a doctor. Oh, I see.
1: (laughs) So that he could drink and still act.
3: Henry, they also the devils uh, that movie, you know, they made a book uh, about it. (laughs) <laughs> I fucking hate you <laughs> I hate you Oh man
4: What a world huh? <laughs> nice. So Urbain Grandier Came to the French town of Loudon In 1627 After he was appointed parish priest Of Saint Pierre de March Church Now, although Grandier was a priest, he had, let's say, some libertine ideas about what a priest was and was not allowed
1: to do. Quote, unquote, allowed to do. (laughs) Interesting.
4: (laughs) Part of that had to do with the fact that Grandier was a good-looking guy, at least by the standards of the time. Huxley described Grandier's appearance as looking like, quote, A slightly less intelligent Mephistopheles in clerical fancy dress. So he's a
1: 1600 French 10. Is that what (laughs) I'm hearing? Oh, he arrived. Stylish full of fucking vinegar. He's being like, I like the cut of your bosom. Like, very (laughs) Because The way he showed up, because he rolled into, he was trained by the Jesuits. At the time, the Jesuits were supposed to be uh, basically re-educating the population into making them better Christians. That was Mm. the idea. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep them studious and we're going to get them really serious about religion. But we're also, unlike many other different uh, teaching styles at the time, we're going to take education very seriously. But so instead of creating all of these good Christians, what they did was create a whole field of free thinkers, like a bunch of like, by just teaching, giving them the tools to think for themselves. And Grenier got the instruction manual of how to stick a bush every fucking three feet but also hold the line of his priest laws and all one time and i say this guy's very talented yeah
4: interesting
1: they just kind of let loose a whole
4: bunch of dandy fops out into the priest world oh my goodness you're gonna uh,
3: oh unleashing the dandy fops are you <laughs> you think that's a good idea jesuits i went to a jesuit uh, school i know the jesuits yeah.
4: yeah yeah
1: look how disciplined you became that's always great. disciplined
4: yeah Now, in accordance with the standards of the time, the people who were actually in power didn't really care about Urbain Grandier's sexual habits when it came to banging peasant girls and lonely widows. And Grandier did bang quite a few peasant girls and lonely widows.
1: And you shall see me in heaven. There is not a single cloud left unpierced.
3: (laughs) He's like Rob Schneider from The Gigolo? Yes. (laughs) Is that what's happening? Every
1: lonely woman is just like i 'm upset that you made that reference, but yes, in a way he is
4: wow, well, part of the reason why, according to Huxley, as far as the libertine sexual ideas at the time, a part of the reason why those existed was that most aspects of palace life were essentially on display, no matter how private because apparently architects in the 17th century hadn't quite figured out the hallway just yet.
1: (laughs) Hold on a second. Yeah, dude. Everything was open concept. It was like JoJo went through there and and Chip with a sledgehammer and just took out every single way of hiding anything. Isn't the hallway the easiest thing to do in the house? It's a
3: hallway. I feel like that would be the first thing and then you build a house around. If I, if you told me that they had a hard time with um, you know, wh- what do you call that area when you first walk in? The foyer? The foyer. <laughs> then I would believe you. But I don't understand how they couldn't figure out a hallway.
4: No, it was just room next to room next to room next to room. Jesus. And as a consequence to get from one side of the palace to the the other one had to walk from room to room to room where literally anything could be happening from people squatting over chamber pots to people having sex to people giving birth to people dying you're just walking through
1: other people's lives constantly and this is the aristocracy this is the high class people that are Mm. forced to like literally you could see your uncle shitting in a pot (laughs) while fucking a woman at the same time and she's just going like that sound of like her noiselessly just bobbing up and down on him as she's just like, oh, it out. But because it's a part of the high society, uh-huh. that's totally legit, and that's what you're supposed to be seeing.
3: It really is the living example of social media. It is Facebook, but instead of just going to someone's different Facebook page, you got to walk through a room, and then you get to see that stillborn in real life.
1: And that's really, you want to be in the front row for that.
4: Oh, yeah, sure. So, the view on sex at the time amongst those who pulled the strings of society was fairly liberal. There were prudes in Loudon when it came to Grandier, but those were in the minority, and they didn't really do much other than just grumble about it
1: and do a quick little thing into the Reformation. The idea was at the time, up until then, which I actually think that was when the Christian church was actually more honest when they were selling indulgences. Because at least then we can be open up front and say the word of God is purchasable. Is purchasable. Yeah. Like you, can, you can go, you give some money, you get your fucking indulgence, boom, 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 we're out of here. But the Reformation, they were trying to fix all this shit. Where Grandier, he showed up right in this fucking transition period between when priests... Lived literally were motley crew they could do whatever the fuck it is that they wanted to because they were a part of essentially like what would be viewed at that time in my mind like the silicon valley of society where it's like the most educated and the richest people also have the coolest jobs and so he is a guy that is a he was in this world and then as he shows up times were changing. Mm-hmm. Now of course
3: Henry I have a question is Silicon Valley now is that just a valley full of huge fake tits?
2: <laughs> yeah buddy
3: uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that everyone in Silicon Valley isn't just working on breast enhancement. <laughs> I should think be working computers and they work on like social media
1: stuff. I don't know. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but as the years went by, Grandier started moving past the homes of widows and into the chambers of noblemen's daughters. Oh, yeah. Because Grandier was not only good looking, but he could talk a good game as well. And moreover, Grandier was also one hell of a priest. He was a great showman. And he was able to draw crowds in Lou like none before, back when the only entertainment the one had were public executions mm. and the Sunday sermon.
1: He used to rock the fucking house. Yeah. He was funny. He was cool. He was very mean. <laughs> as very well. mean. okay. He so was we... not a kind man. He was no. a fucking rough dude. He's kind of sort of like, you can maybe paint him as like a Dennis Miller. Uh. Uh, he was a, you know, he had a lot of problems, but he was also at one point very entertaining.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was going on the conservative talk show scene. He was, he was <laughs> talking to the Bill O'Reilly of France at the time. Uh-huh. He also sounds a little bit like a Bernie Mac. Because Bernie <laughs> Mac, I love him with all of my heart, but when he wanted to turn on the roast, yeah. he, could heat that, he could heat that roast right up. Yes.
4: <sighs> and since Grandier was so damn good at sermons, the local monks, who had previously been raking in all the congregate cash lost their audience almost overnight. Mm. This, in addition to Grandier thinking he was such hot shit, made the monks his sworn enemies. Mm. And Grandier hated the monks just as much as they hated him. In fact, Grandier hated all of his enemies and seemed to relish every bit of hatred they threw his way. And he talked as much shit as he could every night in the houses of his friends. Monks, more
1: like go fuck yourself. (laughs) Would not fuck you with B Arthur's
2: dude <laughs> yeah. I love it, man. I wish
3: I could live during this time period just to be like, priest monk fight happening now. Come
1: watch the priest monk fight. Well, that was his first order when he came into town. He was he showed up for things like, Oh, you have all been serving at the hands of the monks. They are lame.
2: Whoa. Come to
1: my church where we get to have I can draw the titties. Of half the women in this congregation Do you want to see? <laughs> I could draw all the shapes
3: <laughs> Just pulls out his pants And he just put two nipples on his butt cheeks
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> And mostly he did all this shit Because he thought it was funny
2: Oh yeah And,
4: uh-huh. because, <laughs> and because he loved a good fight In other words, this man probably should not have been a priest.
1: That's where we disagree. Yeah, I think he actually sounds like a really fun priest. Yeah, I think he was born to do this. I think it's exactly what he should have been doing. He was actually great at it for a period of time. But Mm -hmm. you can be too good at a thing Mm -hmm. and then get in trouble.
3: Absolutely. Bo, uh, Bo Jackson just ran too fast and broke his own leg. <laughs> that's the only reference we need. Yeah, yeah, that's all you need. But I do wonder, maybe priests or executions, you said there was only two forms of entertainment. and He mm-hmm. didn't want to be executed. So there was no stand-up comedy. There wasn't a vaudeville <laughs>
1: scene. Maybe he would just be a performer today. Maybe, maybe. I oh, no, he, would, he definitely is the mentality of a stand-up. Yeah. yeah. Like, he was ready, and he was taking everybody down with him. And there was something about, but he really just truly thought. Because of his training, he's like, I'm fucking smarter than everybody here. Yeah, mm. no one's gonna get me. I can't get got. Even though they they wasn't the last priest of Ludon, but it was another one of the pri- I believe someone connected to Ludon, was already burnt at the stake. Oh, <laughs> so interesting. He, he was really uh, he was really gambling. <laughs>
3: it sounds like he is. Yeah. That sounds
4: like the worst way to go. And he loved his life in Ludon. as Huxley put it. Quote. It was a thoroughly agreeable existence, satisfying alike to head and heart, to the gonads and the adrenals, to the social persona and his private self.
1: Can I also read a section of his favorite poem? <laughs> sure. This is this is my this is to me an example of uh, an example of what. Grandier was like. This is, he held this to be true for himself. Is this one of the things that would get him right in the gonads, or the <laughs> heart, or the <laughs> head, do you think? I think always the gonads with Grandier. Mm-hmm. When we are in the temple, kneeling, we shall act the part of the devout in the manner of those who, to praise God, humbly bow themselves in the most secret corner of the church.
2: Mm. But when
1: we are in bed, intertwined, we shall act the part of wonder. In the manner of those lovers who, free and frolicsome, practice a hundred fondling arts. Written by Brad Pitt for interview with <laughs> It sounds like it was written by <laughs> Lou Perlman for Lance Best.
4: <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Grandier kept making enemies in high places, from the local apothecary to the local surgeon, all the way up to the king's first minister and cardinal, hmm. a man named Richelieu, arguably one of the most powerful people in the whole country. And it was all just from talking shit.
3: So this was... He just like he's like today I want to anger just everyone that can kill me. <laughs> why why not just shoot a little bit lower?
1: I felt like he was fucking Teflon. Because mm-hmm. okay. that's like um, I dare you to today to defy the church. But he just truly did believe. I'm so fucking clever, dude. You can't mm-hmm. get
3: me. Interesting, yeah. kind of a Julian Assange type perhaps. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting hot button issue to. Kind of <laughs> Fly from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. Ow, 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 ow. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You bet your dog, but you're gonna learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay! Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Ow, 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 ow. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for the little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little Bugs and rats, and oh, they love their life, and they love the—they love what BarkBox brings, because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep, to get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com/left. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year, thinking about her family Terms and conditions apply.
2: Fly from your
4: grave. But he did have friends in high places as well. Or more accurately, one friend. The public prosecutor of Loudon, Louis Trinquant who is Grandier's best friend. Best friends, man!
1: That's, you <laughs> and me together, you go the, only, the one person can, I can call to go to a movie, because I hate having to catch up with any friend or ever just simply going to see the newest Mel Gibson dragged across concrete. Ooh,
4: <laughs> all right, so he does have one friend in one relatively high place. Mm-hmm. But that all changed when Louis Trinquant's daughter came of age. Oh, yeah. And that
1: age was 13 years old. Yeah, I was going to
4: say, we're not talking like the legal standard of 18 here. It sounds like about 15, 16, okay. somewhere around there. See, widows and peasants were one thing. But when it came to Philippe Trinquant, Grandier had a true challenge. And so Grandier began the slow seduction of his best friend's daughter. Okay, I have a question here. When it comes to waiting for
3: women to come of age at this time period, is it like Walter, Ma- Walter Matthau's character from Dennis the Menace just <laughs> waiting for that flower to bloom? Do you just stare? Do they just stare at
1: 12-year-olds and be like, yes. any day, any
2: day yes. that 12-year-old,
1: it's today!
3: Yeah. Like, yes. that is so
1: yeah. <laughs> weird. Yes. I yes. actually think that that's very close. They talk about citing the daughter, like he was like, i knew she was be a grand dame from the time she was five years old oh, yeah. but as she blossomed into her maturity i knew then i could place stem into pistol oh my goodness <laughs> yeah
4: it's a whole uh, has she bled yet oh, then yes yeah. <laughs> she's ready for love right,
2: has she bled yet the way you say it <laughs> <And> it becomes. <laughs>
4: And, of course, after many, quote-unquote, private lessons, Mm -hmm. Grandier was successful in seduction. But unfortunately for everyone involved, Grandier wasn't too careful when it came to birth control methods of the time, so Philippe was soon
1: pregnant. He said, according to his line, too, that was also put into the devils by Ken Russell, being like, I knew after that time, we had a most perfect coupling I feel like they just had sex and he put a bunch of cheese inside of his <laughs> dick or something so it would just keep it all in. This was back in the day. I mean, I'm certain that there's still women and men that can be entranced by this. But his, his knowledge of verse used to make her get going, right? Even as a 16-year-old girl, she had no clue what was going on. And then slowly but surely, he would kind of give her a knowing look over a book. And she would be like... What am I to, how am I to infer the attractions of the curé? Mm. And then she would finally go, and she confessed in confession, because also, he was her confessor,
2: Yeah, right, which is, right.
1: again, I've seen this scenario in several documentary films, but with those uh-huh. documentary films, everyone's eighteen.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. By law, yeah, because yeah, it's called porno. So that's well, a pornographic film.
1: All right, interesting. Oh, that's why I saw Fred Willard in that theater with me.
3: Uh, yes, leave Fred alone. By the way, Fred Willard, he was he was caught doing what you're supposed to be doing in a porno movie. Yeah, he didn't go to see the new Jason Bourne and just start squeezing it out. If you're in a porno movie, it's
1: fine. It's technically applauding when you go to the theater. <laughs> you should. You could. That's that is, honestly, point. it is an applause. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, after Philippe became pregnant, Grandier washed his hands of the whole thing, ended the private lessons the two of them had been enjoying for months, and went right back to being just a priest who listened to her confessions, stonewalling her anytime she wanted to talk about their relationship. Mm. He said,
1: now it's the time to bear your Christian burden on your own.
4: Yeah. And with that... Louis Trincon, the public prosecutor, went from Urbain Grandier's best friend to his absolute worst enemy. Uh-oh.
2: Cuz it
1: ruined his whole fucking it ruined his whole business. He had to find a husband for her and no one wanted to take her because she was the going about to give birth to a bastard that was connected to the church. It was it was a, a to-do.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. A big 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 to-do. To-do. And this was kind of the last straw for Urbain Grandier getting away with everything uh that last straw that was just holding on to their friendship don't have sex with my daughter and get her pregnant that's
3: my last (laughs) straw yeah like all friendships have that's
1: like five straws yeah i would think that's quite a few straws yeah
4: well suddenly a whole cabal had been formed to take down the parson and they all met at the apothecary shop among Grandier's enemies in those meetings were the public prosecutor, the public prosecutor's nephew, the lieutenant crimineur, a powerful priest named Canon Mignon, the town surgeon, the town apothecary, and the prosecutor's father-in-law, a man named Memine de Silly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hope we go up there while we throw a rubber chicken in that bed and it squeaks to wake him up. <laughs> oh, okay. well,
3: the beginning of French comedy. I love it. Well, I
2: got a funny
1: idea. How about we get a big fat girl to fart on him? <laughs> Great idea, Doctor Silly. That is fun. That could be fun. I, I, uh, also, apothecaries at the time were like a wizard shop. Yeah, like they would have big like the the way they talk about like dried alligators hanging from the ceiling because they would do all these weird old timey home remedies that were <laughs> essentially witch magic. Mm -hmm. So he's staring
3: down the barrel of everyone that has power in this town, and everyone with power now officially hates him. Yes. So there's no way out of this. Not really. Okay, unless you have those two little smoke bombs like Batman (laughs) Batman
2: has. But
4: other than that, he's screwed. I mean, he's got a couple of friends left. He's got some people in other towns. You know, we'll see. He's got a little bit of wiggling to go. Okay. Oh,
1: he's got a lot of wiggling to do, if you know what I mean. (laughs)
4: Might be the problem. It was from this apothecary shop that these men would eventually raise their glasses smile and laugh when Urbain grandier was burned at the stake before their very eyes a couple of years later mm-hmm. now
3: would we be there would we be there yeah. raising our glasses watching this happen no
4: not raising our glasses
3: but we'd
1: be there watching okay yeah oh no and they did it we'll get into it next episode but ooh, they did him fucking dirty
4: really okay and it all began with what else but an illicit affair. Pretty soon after these guys formed their little club, they started hearing rumors that Grandier had a new conquest, a 30-year-old woman named Madeleine Bru. But this time, Grandier had fallen head over heels in love and had actually married Madeleine Bru in a secret ceremony. So in this, the cabal saw an opportunity to take Grandier down for immorality. He
1: is a very interesting character. Grenier used, wrote a essay to explain how within the teachings of the church, he could break the laws of celibacy like legally, like mm-hmm. without committing sin, where he wrote this thing saying it is impossible for any red-blooded man to commit to the idea of celibacy. So in the it's just the commitment of a thing that cannot be achieved, there's no way to adhere to this commitment. Like he did a mm. lawyerly thing. yeah, And then what was common at the time for when a priest actually did fell, like fall in love with one of his various concubines, he did a secret ceremony where he's just like, do you, Urbain Grandier, take this woman to be your wife? I do. Do you, Madame Philippe, do you take this man to be a husband? I do, where he just does the whole thing from them in the basement of a church, and all of a huh. sudden they are secret husband and wife.
3: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So he did a little point counterpoint.
1: <laughs> the point you can't have sex
3: with anybody, you're a priest, and then he said, but uh, what if I do?
2: <laughs> all
4: right. He's trying to get trying to protect himself there. Now again, when it came to widows and peasant girls, nobody cared. But when Grandier captured Madeleine Bru's heart, he pissed off the king's advocate, a lawyer named Pierre Manuel. Ooh. And Mino had been trying to court de Bru for years. Uh-oh. And when Mino came on board, he brought his friend Jacques Thibault, who was just there to support his buddy. And as it usually goes in situations like this, the friend... Took it too far and beat Grandier with his cane in the street.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
1: fight. Hey, cane
2: fight happening here. Cane fight happening here. It's like
1: our buddy Travis Irvine's friend that we met in Cleveland, Tomato Jake, something like that. The guy that was just called Tomato Jake because he just had a very red and pink face. Hey, it's always those guys that you bring in who's just like. I thought you had a handle This motherfucker <laughs> Beat him outside And he's like No no it's delicate We got like nine people Trying to be like I'm going I'm fucking uh, going Try to
2: stop me dude.
3: Now a cane beat down Is humiliating Because you are being beaten By
4: someone who requires A cane to walk <laughs> Well this is back in the time When canes were a fashion uh, A fashion accessory Oh it wasn't because He had bad legs Or no. a bad knee No 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 He just had the cane To look fancy And he didn't oh. really Beat him beat him He just hit him in the head Real fucking hard That'll do it <laughs> So, Grandier went to the king with a complaint that Thibault had blasphemed by striking a man of the cloth, while the apothecary rode in the other direction to the bishop of Poitiers to obtain a counter letter outlining how big of a bastard Grandier was. Mm. And the apothecary found upon his arrival that Grandier was already on that bishop's shit list. And the bishop was ecstatic that someone had finally arrived with a reason to take Grandier down. And you knew the bishop was ecstatic because he said, Ah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's peak,
3: peak ecstatic for bishops.
4: And since the church was extremely powerful during this time, the bishop won. And immorality charges were brought against Grandier. Mm. And Grandier had reason to be nervous because what he was doing could be a capital crime in France at the time, based on the judge. Six years earlier, a country parson had been burned alive for, quote... Spiritual incest and sacrilegious impudicities. Yes.
1: That is <laughs> a lot course. to unpack for, as a lawyer. Like, yeah. like, what what, uh, what does that mean? I don't know, but that guy's on fire for it. <laughs> yeah, he is on
3: fire. But what was it? Did you say incest? Spiritual incest. it's, well, a, what, no, it's what's a, spiritual incest? Having it, sex with
4: the Virgin Mary or something? How does this work? It's a fancy way of saying that the priest had broken his vow of chastity.
1: Uh, spiritual well, because, incest. Okay your your parish is your flock It's like when the farmer has sex with his sheep because in that world a sheep is like his daughter
3: yeah? I don't under, I don't know if that's
1: true but I see is what you're my, saying Is that my incest/ bestiality math
4: Yeah I think that yeah, the calculation does work out. But even though a fellow reverend testified that he actually saw Grandier having sex on the church's stone floor with a parishioner. All right, cuck boy. (laughs) No no one's going to question this guy and be
1: like, what were your pants down? What were you doing watching this
3: priest have sex with another person?
1: It is not sex if your stem comes through the fly of your pants. (laughs) Oh
4: my goodness. And who knows if the reverend actually saw Grandier do this, but even so, Grandier got off with a slap on the Condemned to fast on bread and water every Friday for three months.
3: And I'm sure that priest who ratted on him was like, Yes, yeah,
4: slap
1: him harder.
2: Slap him <laughs> yeah, harder. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: No, because this was the time too. There was a book written about cult confessions by which was like written by a, a contemporary of Grandier. And this is the type of shit where it's like he took a nice young chambermaid and his whole thing was playing games with her where he got her to menstruate into a cup so we could do all of these like experiments with the menstrual blood. And then he did a lot of stuff with like how wide a butthole could get. This is true.
2: <laughs> well, it was uh, with right.
4: the menstrual blood. It was, uh, he wanted to dispel the myths of what menstrual blood could do. It was all in the name of science. Ah, uh, of course. A lot of things
3: in the name of science turn out just to be, um, ideas of people who are batshit crazy.
1: <laughs> you mean batshit crazy and batshit horny yeah i guess you can be bad shit horny i don't you know the the minutes before i masturbate or some of the times where i am at my worst
3: but i will say there's nothing wrong with menstrual blood no i have said that before we had a great (laughs) painting a great artist who paints all of her words with her menstrual blood
4: (laughs) yes now at first the sentence also barred grandier from returning to his parish for a period of five years he was exiled but luckily Or perhaps unluckily, seeing how it all turned out, the Archbishop of Bordeaux, Henri de Sordi, also liked to fuck, and was therefore sympathetic to
3: Grandier. Mm
4: -hmm. I feel
3: like everyone in this is just a wine bottle screaming at each other.
1: They all (laughs) have names like their fine wines. (laughs) It's a lot of drawings from olive oil bottles all yelling at each other.
4: And so Grandier returned to Loudon completely reinstated, even though he could have easily gone elsewhere. And the reason was that Grandier wanted to spite his enemies. And as Huxley wrote, Grandier loved the adrenaline rush of anger almost more than he liked sex. Hmm.
1: Almost. Almost. Okay. And
4: in addition to that, Grandier still had his love, Madeleine, back in Loudon, his secret wife. And since he was a priest then and forever... Madeline couldn't just pick up and move to wherever Grandier might be. But there was still one final piece of the puzzle that had to fall into place for Grandier to wind up on the stake. And that is where the nuns of Loudon come into play. Mm.
1: Yep, they also invented scissoring, really? which is huge. Which is huge for, for culture.
4: 17 nuns made their home at the Loudon nunnery most of them were actually noble women who had been forced into the life because their families didn't have the dowry money to marry the extra daughters off to a suitable man so these girls were just made to be brides of Christ instead so they don't have to hang out with some stinky
3: old uh, French farmer man instead (laughs) they get to hang out with a bunch of their lady friends and do whatever they want
1: there is nothing wrong with the nunnery experience it sounds like a lot of fun I think that it, it, we'll see. It actually is a lot more fun than, you know, maybe it was supposed to be. Wink, 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 yeah. nudge, nudge, nudge. But these guys, they, I mean, they were cloistered still. They yeah. were held within this convent. They were not supposed to leave the building. Mm. So it's just these women all stewing their own knee juices, washing the same habits again and again. But so every once in a while, Sister Madeline starts looking a little bit better. Little Absolutely. Bit better. <laughs> she puts not? a carrot between her legs, or you just get her in there. woo, woo. All, All
3: right, day, man. Now, now you're pontificating a little bit <laughs> right. on what you would like to see happen. <laughs> Carrot between the legs. My goodness.
4: And life was actually horribly difficult for these women. The town of Loudon was half Protestant, and even the other half that were Catholic didn't really give a shit about the nuns either. So the nuns had to live in a notoriously haunted old house mm. with no furniture, sleeping on the floor every night. Oh.
1: Yeah, I researched a little about the Huguenots. But then my eyes kind of glazed. <laughs>
4: <over>. <laughs> not been. really that important to the story. Okay, Huxley does a great job of explaining all the ins and outs on that. Uh, but yeah, not really that important. Sounds like there was more ins, but that's just me.
2: Whoa! Oh, yo, 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 yo,
1: yo! There's a bunch of horny Frenchmen with microphones. That's us today. Uh-huh.
4: I guess so. Well, it was. Only Only after the town discovered that the nuns were indeed noble women with powerful relatives that they started sending their children to learn good French and courtly manners. And life wasn't so terrible after the nuns got a few students. They got boarders and essentially turned into a tiny little Catholic school. Mm. But it was the mother superior of the nunnery, Prioress Jeanne de Angers, who was going to cause all the trouble for Urbain Grandier. Mm. Now, when you think Mother Superior, naturally, the first thing to come to mind, wrinkled old woman. Problem
1: child. Yeah.
3: Mother Superior. Big old mole. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Big
1: mole, like sturdy habit with the big stick. And she's just like, ah, you can't use the left hand. Like, that's the kind of (laughs) shit I
3: imagine. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Blues Brothers. Yeah. Hitting people with rulers. Yeah.
4: But Sister Jen was in her mid-twenties, and by all accounts, a pretty woman. Hmm. Huh. Her only problem was that she was a little under five feet tall and was hunchbacked from, as Huxley writes, some tubercular affectation of the bones. Yes, my bone virus
1: was pretty tubular.
3: <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty tubular.
1: Tubercular. Tubercular. fucking idiots. No, I thought, uh, no, but you should see my feet. They are pretty gnarly. Hang ten. <laughs> yeah. All right, so minus the
3: small hench uh, hunchback, she's she's very pretty. She's pretty. Okay.
1: Live right from your brain. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system Squarespace Blueprint, I then also have time, because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com/left to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why. As I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left, listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com left. Visit IXL.com left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
4: Right from your brain. Now, Sister Jen was what you might call a real piece of work. Horribly defensive about her slight deformation, Sister Jen was disagreeable, manipulative, aggressive, and sarcastic. And according to Huxley, her parents sent her to the convent mostly because she was just a horrid teenager that they just didn't want to deal with anymore.
1: Fuck you, mom and dad. You made me a question mark.
4: <laughs> oh. How would you
3: describe your daughter? Why do you think she should be in the nunnery? Uh, the best description would be Chihuahua. <laughs>
4: I believe she resembles a Chihuahua (laughs) in personality. She had calmed down a bit by the time she got to Ludong, but through clever manipulation, she had worked her way to the mother superior position by her mid-twenties through ingratiating herself with all the right people. Sister Jin was particularly known for her jeering, cynical laughter meant to put people she thought were beneath her into their place. And everyone was beneath Sister Jin. Mm-hmm. Everyone that was except Urbain Grandier. Oh. See, these nuns had a lot of time for gossip, and one of their favorite subjects when it came to gossip was all the naughty little things that Parson Urbain Grandier had been getting up to. Uh-oh.
1: Yes, I will lick the bottle, but <laughs> I only do it on Wednesdays. Ah, hump day,
4: okay. Now, Urbane had no contact whatsoever with these nuns. He never went by the nunnery. He never spoke to these nuns. He never even set eyes on them. They just knew who he was, and they knew the stories.
1: He was a celebrity of the town.
4: Yeah. Okay. But as Huxley wrote, quote, In the imagination of his female parishioners, Grandier's amorous exploits took on heroic proportions. He became a mythical figure, part Jupiter, part satyr, bestially lustful, and yet or therefore, divinely attractive. Oh.
1: So satanic. It's so satanic because it's the two all layered together. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite stuff in the world. This is the stuff that titillates me the most. Like The idea of like priests and nuns having sex with each other inside of the church and de- fucking defying all of their, their pesky morality that they've forced upon them.
4: I well, would say it has uh, it has definitely influenced my selection of documentaries this week.
1: All right. Again, you don't have to wink
3: at me. Literally, Marcus winked at me. First of all, this is an audio platform. Second of all, everyone knows that you're mean by documentary.
4: Good Lord. Okay, the Italians quest- do it best. I'm they do. sure that they do.
3: All right. True question here. Rasputin. Or this fella here? Well, this oh. story
4: actually, I mean, this story has a lot of parallels to Rasputin. It reminded me of Rasputin when, uh, when we were uh, doing this whole thing. But by Rasputin or Grandier, do you mean who is the better lover? No, I mean, yeah, who was perceived to be? Let's do a People, People magazine
3: spread, who number one and number two sexiest man alive. Who is it between Rasputin and Grandier?
1: Rasputin's ding-dong took him to the very top. Of the power structure of Russia. That is the only thing that I would say that leans towards Rasputin side where they didn't have all the same kind of weird pent up morality that uh, Grandier had to work with. Where Rasputin, I uh, wouldn't put myself in flagrante thinking about the exploits of Rasputin. Yeah. But I definitely jerk off to the devils.
3: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> all right. <coughs>
4: Well, out of all these nuns, there was no nun more obsessed with Grandier than Sister Jeanne, who was coming to find out that despite her position as Mother Superior, she still had all the sexual urges of a horny (laughs) (laughs) 25-year-old. I'm sure, yeah. Then, one day, Canon Monson, the director and confessor of the nunnery, died, and suddenly there was an opening for a new man. So as soon as Mousson was buried, Sister Jean sent a letter to Urbain Grandier asking if he would like to take the old confessor's place at her side. Dear
1: Monsieur Grandier of the Curé, there happens to be here at the nunnery um, a bit of an opening (laughs) that needs to get filled, (laughs) even to its very brim. And maybe we want to see just how filled... The opening can be mm. almost to its gaping point.
3: <laughs> Intriguing. It sounds a bit like a penthouse forum <laughs> letter,
4: but... Uh... Well, Grandier responded with nothing more than a polite refusal. He said that he was not worthy of such an honor, and besides, he already had his hands full with his duties as the parish priest.
2: (laughs) Hand full
3: of duties. (laughs) (laughs) Cut to him holding two big old (laughs) dukes. (laughs) Oh, man, it's just kind of (laughs) putty.
1: I have to hold the quill with my knees.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And with just that one letter... Grandier turned from an object of lust and infatuation for Sister Jeanne to a hated enemy who must be
1: destroyed at all costs. You're going to say no to me?
4: Yeah. Wow. You're going to say
1: no to me and my fucking gash?
4: (laughs) Wow, he should have said yes. So instead of Urbain Grandier, the post of Nunnery Confessor was filled by Canon Mignon. And if you'll remember... Canon Mignon was already a part of the cabal hellbent on destroying Urbain Grandier because Canon Mignon also happened to be the cousin of the girl Grandier had impregnated and abandoned.
1: Oh,
3: big mistake there.
1: It is all these small town problems. Because, like, how many times, because you know in Rochester, right, everybody knows each other's fucking business. Totally. And everybody who dated somebody is somebody else's ex, and so everybody's all on top of each other.
4: But that's not to say that Sister Jen was invited to all the meetings to play a conscious part in the conspiracy. She was only a tool, and she would be used with devastating success. Mm. And so the stage was set for Urbane's downfall, and it all began with dreams. Sister Jeanne began dreaming of Canon Monson, the deceased confessor, coming back from purgatory to request assistance in his prayers. Mm. But slowly, Monson's face turned into that of Grandier's. In her dreams, Grandier gave Sister Jeanne sweet words of love, caressed her lithe body, and, quote, pressed her to grant him what was no longer hers to dispose of, that which... By her vows, she had consecrated to her divine bridegroom.
3: What could that be?
2: <laughs> My gosh,
1: it's a yeah, lot buddy, going on. No, it's spicy. Here. Now, yeah. spicy. Yeah. She starts having a lot of dreams, but and just think about this it's just like she's Vanessa Redgrave and the mm. devil. She's mm-hmm. absolutely hot. She even in the, with the hunchback, it's like it really doesn't affect anything. But then you got Oliver Reed's big catcher's mitt face mm. appearing, <laughs> and him is going blah, 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 blah.
2: like this. He says, Oh, whew.
4: sounds scary. And, of course, every morning, Sister Jeanne would wake up and tell her nuns all about these little nocturnal adventures she'd been having. And before long, two other nuns, Claire de Cizilli and a peasant girl also named Claire, were having those same dreams. Oh. Now,
1: remember, and- they say it's dreams. But, event- but it starts to turn into, I had a vision.
2: Mm -hmm. I
1: am seeing these things. This is actually now a thing. This is becoming real. And these don't just come from anywhere. I'm a devout woman with a lithe body. I have an extra curve on top. I'm just getting sent these visions. So
3: Grandier is like Freddy Krueger, who is haunting these girls' dreams. But instead of finger knives, they're just a bunch of dildos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really?
2: Yeah.
4: Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, suddenly... Urbain grandier was no longer just a rascal to be gossiped about no longer just the local rake he was turning into an actual incubus Ooh. coming at night in spiritual form to squat on the chests of innocent nuns to steal their life energy through sexual means mm.
1: yeah squatting on their chest
4: <laughs> very bizarre i
1: learned about this thing called the pittsburgh platter recently
4: <laughs>
3: yeah well, we can talk about that off air the old pittsburgh platter <laughs>
4: And still, even with that, it all might not have caught on
1: if not for a Halloween prank. Always with the pranks. Always well, with the pranks.
4: The
3: French love jokes.
1: I mean, they're not you good at them. <laughs> but they love- the only person that can th- throw a good prank is George Clooney on Brad Pitt, because really? in the end, they all go laughing at their Italian like g- cabin homes yeah that's afterwards. true that's true i think
3: ashton kutcher was pretty good with the pranks he was okay yeah, remember,
1: he was... remember when he stole uh freddie
4: munitz's car yeah <laughs> and then he started crying and stuff <laughs> yeah and <laughs> they put was... it on television <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emb- yeah what embarrassed him on tv yeah <laughs> just a little child actor there <laughs> Well, a couple of the younger nuns had decided to fake a haunting with the purposes of scaring the kids and breaking up the horrible monotony of their lives. Mm. Just a big prank. And Pretending to be the ghost of Canon Mulsol, the young nuns donned a white sheet and roamed the dormitories, groaning and rattling chains, plucking clothes off of beds, and freezing their fingers in icy water before touching the faces of sleeping children. Mm. But if all... we
1: did that, kiss,le we would be a chill <laughs> oh, yeah. <for> a long, <laughs> in jail in rocket. time. Rightfully so. Yeah. Now, it was
4: all just meant to blow off steam, but some of the older nuns took it seriously. First, there was this possible incubus hanging around, and now they had an actual haunting. But there was one guy who saw all this as an opportunity. Canon Mignon. Mmm. Now, Mignon knew that Sister Jeanne was only having these dreams because she wanted to have sex with Grandier. He knew that. He, he was a rational man.
3: He figured that out, He huh? figured that one wow. out. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah.
4: he knew that the haunting was just a bunch of nuns in white sheets. Oh, yeah. But... If he put it all together and spun it in just the right way, then he suddenly had enough to hang Urbain Grandier. That's all you need, huh? And so Min Young got to work on convincing the nuns that the dreams were not only real, but satanic. And before long, the nuns were officially possessed by all sorts of demons
1: and devils. And this is, again, we talk about possessions. We've talked about them in the past, right? The, this is maybe they say it, they say mass hysteria. They say that it, it runs through this group of nuns like a forest fire, mm. where each one starts imitating the symptoms of the next. But in the end, what's the difference between play acting possessed if it gets you fucking burnt the like, right. at the stake? Like, in some level, if it comes kind of real, like oh, I- because they start changing.
4: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then, once the nuns were suitably whipped into a frenzy, Mignon went to the apothecary cabal and told them that he had a foolproof way to finally take down Grandier. What's that? We can call him a witch! You're a witch! Call him a witch!
3: (laughs) (laughs) They tried hitting him with a cane, the monks attacked him, now this is the witch move,
1: this could
4: work! Yeah, the witch gambit. Wow!
1: They tried to get him legally. And yeah. they begged him to leave Loudon. Yeah. The guy that finally let them go, like, when he finally got rid of the exile, but we talked about before, it's, as soon as they let him back into town, they were just like, why don't you just fucking leave? You know, you could go and fucking get a new secret wife, doing a whole thing in life. And he was just like, no, I want them to smell my shit, and I want them to <laughs> smile. But yeah. it gets you get got.
4: Yeah, yeah
3: absolutely. He could have gone to a whole series of different French towns.
4: He could have. Yeah. But if these guys really wanted to nail Grandier, they had to make this a true spectacle. And there's nothing better for a spectacle than an exorcist. So Mignon made a visit to the order of Carmelite monks to recruit one. Now, he chose the Carmelites for a couple of reasons. One, these monks were much more zealous than what you'd call secular priests mm. like Grandier, the ones who actually have daily contact with the outside world. And two, these Carmelite monks in particular hated Urbain Grandier because he was just so good-looking mm. and so funny and personable and sarcastic and, oh, weren't his sermons so fucking great compared to ours? <laughs> well, I mean, I do like the Carmelite monks.
1: <laughs> mm, the yeah, Carmelite very monks, yes, they were made out of candy. <laughs> yes, they sound like they might be specializing
4: in Werther's Originals. <laughs> So the Carmelites gave Mignon not one, but three exorcists to play with. Fathers Ulcer de Saint-Michel, Pierre Thomas de Saint-Charles, and Antonine de la Charite. Okay. And within just a few days of them showing up at the nunnery, every nun, except a couple of the oldest ones, were getting sexy nightly visits from
1: Urbain Grandier. Oh, I feel bad for the older ones. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't even just, like, just dreams. They're acting this shit out. Right. Like, these guys roll up to the nunnery, and you have these women just fucking writhing Jeez. and moaning and doing stuff. But I also, it's, it's, it's like, that's a spectacle. Like, you show up, and they're just going like, go, oh, fuck me, fuck me. Mm. And it's like a documentary that we all enjoy in our own. But it is a, in that time period, that's like, what? Yeah. Right. Wow.
2: Okay. from your blade.
4: Correct. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPeat.com. Hey. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, and fast-growing trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there, and it's going to thrive, and it's going to look real good. Now I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Live from your grave. Now, the nunnery had always had a reputation for being haunted. So when it came out that the good sisters were being possessed by devils, it wasn't that much of a stretch. And when it was said to be sexual devils, Grandier wasn't that much of a stretch either. Mm. As far as what Grandier thought about all this, he didn't really give a shit as we said, he'd never seen any of these women before. He'd never visited the nunnery, and he'd never spoken to any of them outside of his letter to Sister Jen. So he's like, "Yeah, they can say whatever the fuck they want. I don't care. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to jail. I'm nothing's happening to me. I don't right. yeah, know these I, women. I,
1: hmm. This is like the one thing I'm innocent of. Yeah, it's like I legitimately. Just like, it was like uh, I, I absolutely did not have sex with them. They are gross. He's just like, I didn't go there. I only have sex with the hot women.
4: Well, technically, they're the ones thinking of him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. But while Grandier was thumbing his nose at the whole idea, his enemies were getting to work on the business of exorcism. They even brought in more exorcists besides the three they already had. They brought in Pierre Rangier, the parson of Vigners. In addition to his quote-unquote skill as an exorcist, Rangier was also a close personal friend of the bishop that hated Grandier. Which meant that there would be no skepticism from the higher ups. And in addition to that, the possession was guaranteed to be official. In other words, the possession. In other words, the possessions were well on their way to becoming admissible.
3: Oh, very good. So this is going to be documentation. Mm -hmm. Proving he needs to be burnt like a witch.
4: Rangier was soon joined by another priest, Father Barre, whom Huxley described as, quote, one of those negative Christians to whom the devil is incomparably more real and more interesting than God. That's how it's always been. Like Jerry Falwell. Exactly. So he's a doom and gloom guy. Saw the devil in absolutely everything. If there was a disaster, the devil did it. If something weird happened, the devil did it. If you're feeling good about anything... The devil's doing it.
2: What?
1: Come on. And the only person stands between you and the devil is the kindly power of this priest. Oh. <laughs> this priest is the only one who can save you. And he's the only one that you you have to listen to him and you have to follow him because the devil is always bad. Even though at the time, technically, Grandier, I mean, he's a, he's a fucking asshole, but he's just of this streak of modern thinking. Mm. And it's kind of trying to bust out of this time period. It's trying to fucking find a way to grip and, be, and being like, we are not, we're getting out of medieval times.
4: Well, when Father Beret arrived, he was disgusted at what had been going on. And it wasn't that they were doing exorcisms on these nuns day and night and that the nuns were writhing sexually. He was disgusted that the exorcisms were being done in private. Mm. So, upon his direction, the entire affair, almost every single exorcism, was open to the public for everyone to see. And it cannot be stressed how long this process was. By the time the exorcisms went public... The exorcisms had already been going on for months. Hmm.
1: And they're doing one at a time. Uh, First on the inside, like each one doing the screaming rituals 12 hours a day while these women were going like, oh, yeah, baby, oh, yeah, like all day long. You know what I find interesting is that why are men obsessed with the concept of sucking their own penis? But we never hear about women trying to eat their own vaginas.
3: Well, I I think that would take an, an immense amount of contortion of the body. I've seen it. Yeah, well, I know that you guys have seen a lot of things, (laughs) um, but no, I I don't think that that would be, uh, I don't know. I just question
2: for
1: the people who listen to the show. I don't, I don't really know. Yeah,
3: I don't know. That's the kind of the stump the panel question there. No. Hard to say. So this guy's like a reality show TV producer.
4: Yeah. He yes. wants to make
3: this thing go live. He wants a viral hit here.
4: Make it public. Open it to everybody. Let everyone see what's happening here. Okay. But also,
1: you could see the the handiwork of the devil yeah. in front of you. And you're watching the front lines. of. It's like when we televised the three-day Gulf War. In yeah, the yeah. 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Or really, the uh
4: Chrisley Knows Best. Yeah. You know that reality show. That's like watching the devil. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. <laughs> and making it public was perfect for Grandier's enemies. But really, what people loved most about all the public exorcisms was that in the middle of all the writhing and gnashing of teeth... It was pretty easy to see the bare legs of a sexy young nun. Uh Yeah, dude, this is like
1: Denmark. (laughs) People (laughs) were openly saying, "Like, yeah, you're gonna go, yeah, yeah, the nun. I think the nun's gonna show her
4: legs again." Whoa, it it was
1: saucy. It was fucking, woo, Italian gravy saucy, man. Different
4: (laughs) times. Different times. Of course, that little peak sometimes came at the expense of the nun's teeth, because sometimes these women would writhe so hard, they'd grind their teeth so hard that their back molars would shatter. Ooh. But even so, it was said in Loudon that not since the coming of those traveling acrobats with the two dwarfs and the performing bears had the town been treated as such a good show as this. Oh, I yeah. want to watch
3: that show so bad. That it's just
4: dwarfs
1: getting fighting bears. Oh, my goodness.
4: And best of all, it was totally free. Huh. Now, it wasn't just any old demon that the fathers were dealing with here. Of course not. They had a whole host of demons to attend to. From Asmodeus, to Zabulon, to Nephili, to Elimi, to Varin, to Iskaron, to Ezaz, to Conspicience.
3: Bunch of nerd
4: demons. <laughs> nerd demons.
3: Indy.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, we're tell... not
4: nerds. We just like to read. <laughs> well, you're going to tell Conspicience
3: that he's a nerd? No, nah, not Not so much Conspicience. <laughs> no, he's he's one of the good ones.
1: I will defile your soul, Benjamin Kissel, as soon as you remove my underwear from this hook in the bathroom stall.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my, a nude pooper.
4: That's not good. These demons lived and ruled different parts of each nun's body. Sister Claire de Cizilli had seven demons possessing her, Mm. one in her forehead, one in her right arm, one under the second rib from the right, one to the left of her stomach, one in her neck, one in her left temple, and one in her rib. Makes all the sense in the world. Of Uh, course they were. But that was nothing compared to Sister Blanchard. She had a devil under each armpit, one under the navel, one below the heart, one under her left breast, and implanted into her left buttock was what was called... A coal of impurity.
3: Well, that's uh, now that's a nice demon condo right there.
1: <laughs> that that sounds like some prime real estate. But can you imagine having just one demon in your titty? Where you got one good titty and you got one bad titty being like, steal the cards. Like one titty, she's like <laughs> telling you to do bad things, and the other one's like, give money to the poor. And you're like, oh, titties, I'll just suck on you. <laughs>
3: I do think you have a gross misunderstanding of what being
1: a nun entails. (laughs) Oh, I, I, again, you know, I don't need to know. I know. I can just tell the story in my mind. This has been a very immature show today. (laughs) Sure. I want to say this. I want to say, God, how dare we? add so much childishness Uh to this subject. Devils
3: of Ludon.
4: Honestly, the Huxley book has quite a few immature jokes in it as well. Mm. He's just much more eloquent than we are. Yeah, Yeah, he's a
1: genius. (laughs) And and I am a moron.
4: And so, each of these demons had to be exorcised from each nun's body one by one. Father Beret went after Asmodeus first, who had made his home in Sister Jeanne's lower belly. Mm -hmm. Father Beret wrestled with with the demon for two hours in public. Scrabbing grabbing her belly. Grabbing her belly up. <laughs> yeah, what does, does that her, look her, like? Get out, get out. It's, it's, just, get like, it's just yelling at her in Latin. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he only got laughs and playful blasphemies from Asmodeus in return. Ugh. After that, Beret figured he'd had enough of this shit, so he took it to the next level. He ordered Sister Jeanne to her room, and once there, Father Beret sent a messenger to fetch the apothecary and the biggest syringe he could find. Uh-oh. Yes,
1: I can bring Jeffrey the syringe. That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite and biggest syringe. Ooh, yes, st- right away. Coming <sighs> fall, you son.
3: A 16th century big,
4: large syringe.
3: Yep. Oh, that's not going to feel good.
4: And once the apothecary showed up, syringe in hand, Beret was waiting with a quart of holy water. Mm. Pretty soon, Asmodeus... Knew what the assailants were up
1: to. I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. Hey, 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 buddy. I see what you're doing
2: there. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Wait. <laughs>
4: so Sister Jen started thrashing, but it was all in vain as the priest held down the nun and the apothecary administered a holy water enema.
2: <laughs>
3: oh, God. Yeah, That's dude. even worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs>
4: Jeez. No man, you gotta flood him out. <laughs> All right. And lo and behold, two minutes later, Asmodeus had forthwith departed. Is that so
3: she took a massive dump. <laughs> I, I don't even know what their diet would be in this nunnery. I'm assuming it's not great. Um, so she probably may she might have actually felt good after this. I don't know. I don't know. It was
1: grueled meat. Well, honestly, people want this all the time. Gwyneth Paltrow does this once a week. They went and they defarted her. (laughs) They just, they pumped her out. Just like, all that shit coming up being like, excellent. Excellent. They're all just like, yeah, is it good? yeah you think you get enough out of me oh Good. my goodness just
3: thinking of oliver plath or something is the amount of poop that
4: probably came out of her body really disgusting and as admodius departed the devil let loose with the name of the man who had sent not only him but all of the devils urbane grandier
3: oh my
1: god Yep, her asshole said it. Really? Her friend and you did it. Yeah, I hear that. Thank you, little asshole. Oh, you're funny.
2: <laughs>
3: All right, we know what it sounds like, Marcus. Good Lord. Are we, are, we, are we Howard Stern now? We're just making fart noises into a
4: microphone? How have we regressed so much in, in an hour? It's remarkable. And with that... Mignon and Grandier's other enemies felt that they had a strong enough case to take official action. So, Father Rangier went to the office of the chief magistrate, Monsieur de Saracet, and asked him to see the evidence for himself. Just brought him a big bucket of nun shit. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you see? Do you see? <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, Deseresee came down to find Sister Jeanne in the middle of another exorcism, because there were still six more devils to go. Oh, that was only the one that devil? That was only the one devil. Oh,
3: my goodness.
4: And in the words of the minutes drawn by the magistrate's clerk, quote,
1: She began to make very violent movements with certain noises like the grunts of a small pig, then buried herself <laughs> under the bedclothes, ground her teeth, and made... Various other contortions, such as might be made by a person out of her wits. Whoa, out of her wits, you say?
2: Yeah,
3: he
1: came in and she was just going, "Wait, wee, wee, wait." <laughs> she <wee, wee, laughs> played piggy like mankind <laughs> She's used not do. to do. Weird shit. <laughs> oh my God. Like, slapping the titty. Get the demon out of that titty. Get that it was, out.
3: Honestly, that's Mick Foley's greatest contribution, other than everything else he did, was the yeah. pig noises he oh. used to make as mankind. Oh, it's so it. funny.
4: And as she was being exorcised, Mignon was shoving his thumb and forefinger in the mother superior's mouth. Because that seemed to be Mignon's favorite technique when it came to exorcisms. He just fucking shoved his fingers in their mouth. It was like,
3: bite me, bite me. He sounds like the demon to me. He
4: is. Mignon is without a doubt one of the uh, actual devils of this story. Okay. And so Sister Jin began to, quote unquote, testify to the magistrate. She said that she had been possessed by two pats. One consisted of three hawthorn prickles, while the other was a bunch of roses she had found on the stairs. Mm. She said she'd stuck the roses in her belt, and as soon as she did, she was attacked by a great trembling in her right arm and was seized by love for Grandier, unable to think about anything else afterward. Hmm,
3: okay. Now, maybe they're just horny, lonely, elderly, or uh, coming-of-age women. Yeah. That could also be
4: part of it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Nailed,
1: it. Nailed it. Yes, okay. exactly. Got it. thank you.
4: So, after the exorcism, Mignon took the magistrate aside and, in the presence of two other enemies of Urbain Grandier, happened to remark that this case had some striking similarities to the case of Louis Galfredi. Uh, Ah,
3: the poop that came out of Galfredi. (laughs) You (laughs) can only imagine.
4: (laughs) My goodness. See, the case of the Devils of Loudon was not the first time that an entire nunnery had come under the spell of a wicked demon-driven puppet master. Just 20 years earlier, this same thing had happened in Marseille. That case had been born of an illicit love affair between a nun and a priest. And when the nun was caught, she claimed demonic possession Mm. rather than owning up to it. Oh, interesting. And before you knew it, eight more nuns were claiming demonic possession as well. So during an exorcism performed by a Flemish priest named Father Dumptius. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah it is. <laughs> My God, yeah. look at that. Just when we thought we were being too juvenile, <laughs> Dumptius comes over and forces us to laugh at a man with a funny name.
1: He did it. He, he did, it. did this. Yeah, no, Dumptius <laughs> technically did this one. That's We gotta
3: laugh at that. Played well,
1: by Louis Anderson in a
3: movie.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was said by the possessing demon through the nun that Father Galfridi was behind all the possessions. And this was taken as fact in a court of law. Hmm. And as a result, Galfridi was burned at the stake using bushes instead of logs because bushes burned slower and hotter. Uh-oh. So, when Mignon mentioned Galfredi when it came to Urbain Grandier, everyone knew exactly where he was going with it, and they said, I love it. I
3: love love it. it. I love it. (laughs) Like Tim Gunn. I love it. Project Runway.
4: This is a make it work moment. (laughs) That's what I'm seeing here. Bye, Mood. (laughs) Because either way, they would win. If Grandier was acquitted, he was forever at least an accused sorcerer, Mm. and his reputation would be ruined. And if he was found guilty,
1: he'd be literally burned alive. (laughs) Win-win. And that's good television. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And here's a bit of a spoiler alert. He was burned alive. He was burned alive.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. Why don't you guys just hit me in the head with a cane a couple more times?
1: <laughs> I
4: would much prefer that, and it hurts. It really does hurt. But we'll get into exactly how that happened and all the other awful things that happened to Urbain Grandier along the way and The
1: Devils of Loudon, part two.
3: Awesome. Part Dia. Part D, Next part week. Part Dia.
1: Urbain Grandier, he goes down hard. We're going to find that sometimes <laughs> killing... The incubus, yeah, uh, does not solve the problem of your possession. No, and and it's that's so we're getting into the actual what happens to Grandier Mm. and the aftermath. Next episode, I
3: think going down hard is what what got him in this mess in the first place. But (laughs) there it is, there it is. All right, Devils of Blue Dawn, part one. Cannot wait for part two. Really. Fun story. These the, I like the old uh, the old timey stories are fun.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm sure I mispronounced every single oh, yeah. French name, but yeah. It, but it's real fun to go. Le You're from Le Texas. Know.
3: You did it so good. Yeah. There's no French people in Texas.
1: No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you did a great job because yeah. you don't have
3: you don't have a lot of French people growing up. No.
1: No. And I'll, uh, and I'll say what I'll tell you what it's I we may not be the men that should be telling this story <laughs> what but we are the men that are telling this story. Mm-hmm. and it's important to remember our point of view is um is very specific uh obviously we don't know a lot about nunneries or what goes on inside of them so if you're a nun who listens first of all congrats yeah mm-hmm. uh second of all i guess send us a message or send us an email outside yeah. lpotl to see if, if is there as much scissoring in an nunnery as I think there is? Okay, well, that's
3: that's your question. All right, <laughs> if you want more of those really interesting questions, subscribe to our Patreon, and you can listen to the interview series that Henry and myself do. We've talked to a, a bunch of people, so there's a lot of interviews on there. Thank you all for giving to our Patreon. We really appreciate it. Without you, none of this exists. Uh, we are all in this uh, together. Let's see, we have some live shows coming up. Obviously, we are going to be traveling all around this gorgeous
4: world all of ours. world that we are on uh, the 17th of may we got kansas city on the 18th of may we got denver on the 19th of may we got salt lake city on the 30th of may we got vancouver Ooh. on the 31st we got seattle and on the first and the second, we're coming to Portland. Can't
3: now wait. Love Portland. Love, love Seattle. Love Vancouver. Love all those places. Oh,
4: yeah. Come on out,
3: Vancouver. Is that the name of our
1: new morning radio show? <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, we got we, we got pumped, the Vancouver show. We still got tickets available. Come and see that show. Our very uh, our, The UK t- tickets are going really fast. The Australian tickets are going really fast. But I will say, we need people to come to Berlin. Like yes. it's we just want to perform for you. So if you're in Kliischkischlerg, um, or uh, if you're in Hamsternsticken, right? Take a trolley to Berlin, or take a Clydesdale. I don't know how you travel <laughs> around Germany, um, but go hop on the back of a Bierstein cart and get your way to Berlin. Follow a Panzer.
4: Yeah, Absolutely. into Berlin. If you're Absolutely. in Poland, go over to Berlin. If you're up in Belgium, I know we got some listeners in Belgium. Mm-hmm. Go on down to Berlin, or maybe yeah. it's over. Is it East? It's just go to
3: Berlin. <laughs> okay, they know they know where to go. They got Google Maps. Um, yeah. I
1: want to dance on the wall. Yeah. The wall's gone now, though. Yeah, the wall uh, is the gone. Wall, yeah. Yes, oh, yeah, no. That's wow.
3: actually a horrible memory to bring up when we go there.
1: <laughs> i it, it was quite yeah. hard for the people. There's a lot of there's a lot of tiptoeing.
3: <laughs> you gotta do it. Oh yeah, Germany. we're gonna be little tiny Tim's out there tiptoeing <laughs> through the tulips of <laughs> Germany. <laughs> Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I think that's all. Uh, that's all we got to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
1: that's all we got to say this time, that's baby. All we, that's all we got to say. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Geed, and thanks, everyone, on the Patreon
4: again. Yes,
1: magustalations. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. better help it says here i have to talk about something i need to get off my chest and i guess i can share it here i i eat mayonnaise for fun it's a hobby of mine and it's an addiction and it's a daily weight on my life how much i need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins